What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Slab Talk. I'm your host, Amil Sarfani, and this is my sports card show. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. We're here on a Sunday morning uh, before football starts, so I'm getting ready to watch some football today. But before we do uh, get into Sunday football, I have an awesome conversation slated for today, and I've got an awesome guest to have the conversation with. Today's topic is going to be about buying and selling active players. So we're going to talk about the definition of prospecting, but this conversation is going to be about what types of players we're buying when we want to buy uh, active players who are playing in any of the sports that you're interested in and how we approach that and how we treat risk. And, and we'll define all that and go really in depth about how we approach uh, the topic of prospecting. To do that, I've brought in a really good friend of mine, Vanson at the underscore card professor on Instagram. Give him a follow. He's a great follow on Instagram. Uh, Vanson, I really appreciate you tuning in today. Uh, you know, my relationship with you has really grown over the last year and a half that we've known each other through the sports card hobby. Um, I really appreciated all the conversations we have, all the DMs. I feel like your approach to it and your mindset to the card hobby is very similar to mine in the way we approach it, although we do and and uh, buy and sell very differently. Uh, I love the way you think about it. And so I really, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. I'm excited to have this conversation and jump into this con this concept of yeah. who we buy. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and, and, well, let's start with who you are a little bit. So if you can tell the audience uh, who you are, where you're from, and then your collecting background and your approach. So I'm dancing. I'm the card professor. I'm card prof well, formerly Athletic Attitudes. That was an ode to the LCS I grew up with, but uh, I teach at a community college. So I'm a professor. So yeah. <laughs> and as I was rebranding my name, uh, I had to have professor in there. So the card professor, that's where I'm at, or that's uh, how I got my name today. And I'm originally from San Francisco and now I live right outside of San Francisco, which is also where I teach. So in terms of cards, collected as a kid, nine ten years old sure a lot of fun junk wax era in the late 80s early 90s and then i kind of stopped around the mid to late 90s and all these new sets that come out and then i got back into it around 2003 maybe for about a year i got a lebron james rookie card for 100 bucks it was bgs 9.5 yeah it was bgs 9.5 pristine refractor and for a hundred dollars and I was just okay so that's kind of the stuff that I got back then and so I was in it for a year and then well pandemic and I wasn't doing anything and I saw a friend post a card on his Instagram and I thought hey I'm sitting on some cards in uh, August 2020 that was when I saw that and here we are now Nice. So you you did take a break from like 2003 to 2020, right? Like that was you you did kind of do other things as as a lot of us did, right? Like I collected as a kid as well, and then went away from it and came back to it here in the last. Uh, it, I got into it, you know, at the at the beginning part of 2020. So we 
are around the same time in terms of when we've really jumped back in in a real way. Um, and so it's really fun because I think that's why we enjoy it the way we do uh, is when we got in and how we're, you know, buying and selling, especially active players. Um, so let's get into the topic itself of prospecting and what that means. So let's start with the definition. Um, I define prospecting um, as basically any active player whose I believe their values will go up and down based on either player performance or situation. Um, so I have a pretty broad uh, definition of prospecting. I don't really draw a line too much in terms of what players they are, uh, what players in terms of uh, time in the league or or how uh, you know their accolades necessarily. Well, we'll talk about that. Their only real active player that for me I keep out of this conversation is LeBron James uh, and guys like Tom Brady, right? Like the the goats who are still playing, but obviously their legacies are in, in, insanely. Uh, stuck there. Those those cards are. I don't necessarily consider prospecting, even though their values will go up and down as they perform uh, in, in the leagues that they play in. Do you want to add anything to that definition? Yeah, I, I I'd like to add kind of a an age or an, an experience requirement. Cool. So I wouldn't say that putting or you know buying curry is prospecting. I can't I can't say that. Right. I mean, I'm from I'm from the Bay Area, so there's no. I mean, and, and so also the same thing for Clay, but for someone like Jordan Poole who's newer, yeah. Uh, but you know, then I think about a couple of people who are also newer, like Trey Young, Zion. They're newer. They haven't won anything yet. They haven't proven anything yet. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, like Luca is the ultimate prospect, right? Yeah. Like a guy who is got a lot of hype and potential, but obviously hasn't really won anything or has any major accolades just yet other than his international you know career cool i i, I would i and then i i also kind of think of it in in tears yes tears of prospecting so, so uh, yeah go ahead go ahead i i think um you know there's the young guys who play a lot of minutes and uh they were I guess you know the, the team was def, uh the franchise was looking to build around them. Luca, Trey, Zion, so on. And then I think about other players who either haven't had the opportunity yet, or they haven't um had their breakout yet. What are some so, of those players in that tier for you? Okay. So I, I got a couple cards here. <laughs> Love it. So I'm thinking of someone like let me change the lighting, Mo Bamba. Okay. Mo Bamba was drafted by Orlando, and he's playing behind Vucevic. So Vucevic gets traded, and that uh, gets traded for Wendell Carter Jr. But then right. that paves the way for uh, a, a battle at the five spot in Orlando. Uh, I had seen what Wendell Carter Jr. had done. I had not seen what Mo Bamba had done, and so I was. I found it very interesting to prospect on Mobamba. Yeah. Also, uh, another player here. Let me get one more card. Is Nikhil Alexander? Oh, that's bright. Nikhil Alexander Walker. This guy right here. And <clears throat> he had a uh, uh, Lonzo Ball was injured, and then uh, Naw Naw popped off for thirty-seven points, and I was like, oh, that's very interesting. And so he just continued to play behind Lonzo Ball. Um, so those are kind of like opportunity types of things, uh, types of players. And then, you know, sometimes a player comes back in the offseason with 
I don't know, a, a, a big improvement in their game, and then they just become most improved player the following year. So uh, I can't think of an example of that right now, but those are like a kind of, I would say, more riskier type of prospecting sure. rather than like Luca Trey is just like, Luca uh, makes the playoffs, Trey's already made the conference finals. So I see those as two different tiers of prospecting. For sure. And there's a lot of nuance to prospecting and the tiers of players that we're going to get into for sure. Uh, but that's a great point, right? There is a risk. Like this is where we're going to talk about risk a little bit because I think the biggest part of this is understanding um, the idea of risk. And and the way, like for me, it's the question I always come back to is why spend money on the prospects when you could just theoretically put more money into the GOATs? Right, because there is a huge risk to this, and buying sports cards already, by the way, from a financial standpoint, from just like putting money and having the ability to put it into stocks, crypto, real estate, the the whole you know gambit of options that you really have when you start thinking about money more generally and where we're spending our money. So sports cards are already risky, and then you add in prospecting, which is even riskier. So we will talk about risk, but why for you do you? choose to put money into unproven players like prospecting versus just buying the goats, like more LeBron James cards or Steph Curry cards or Kevin Durant. Like why for you, do you like to do what you do with the Mo Bambas of the world? Right? Like, uh, I can think of a couple things. The first thing is they are, it's, it's kind of cool being like one who calls the next big thing. <laughs> like, so ah, I called it. So, I mean, the the thing is, I'm not the only one that's calling it, but yeah. still related to that is if you can get in cheaper on the next big thing, then you have an opportunity to uh, triple, quadruple, quintuple, 5X, 10X your uh, card. So I guess in terms of, so th 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 those two are related. I would say uh, another thing I'd like to add is um, a, a young prospect is kind of an underdog. And I like I like to root for the underdog. Yeah. And um, the last thing I would say is uh, – actually, I lost my train of thought. You, go ahead. You go. So, so I think there's a couple points here that you are touching on that I, I really love. One, it's really fun, right? Like prospecting is a lot of fun. And if you know the sport that you're investing in, like for me, basketball, and for you, I know you're a big basketball guy as well. Um, it's it's If you know the sport, you understand the things like situation, things like now that Lonzo Ball is out in Chicago, maybe Nikhil Alexander-Walker has opportunity, right? So you understand the certain situations. And so there's a lot of fun in understanding the sports that you're playing in. And we watch so much, we, we spend so much time watching these sports uh, and, and listening to content and, and, and paying attention to what's happening uh, uh, with these teams that I think prospecting is a lot of fun. And if you know what you're doing, uh, there is a lot of that opportunity. And the second piece of that that you kind of touched on is player performance. There's a catalyst to it, right? So if, when you're buying a guy like uh, a, a, a retired go like a, a Tim Duncan or a Kobe Bryant or, or or Michael Jordan even right. It's like where's the catalyst? This is a, a this is a, a topic that I have talked to a lot of people about. Is like the reason why a lot of people like to prospect is that there's obvious catalysts to what would cause a card value to go up. And so if you again if you're watching and you're buying at the right times in the off season, there are certain catalysts to maybe buying a player that you think is going to pop off early in the season and have a really nice run. 
I like a guy that comes to mind when I think about this is like Michael Porter Jr. You've got Jamal Murray that's out, right? So does Michael Porter Jr. come out and have a really great beginning of the season? And can you capitalize that uh, because you understand the situation and you know he's playing along Jokic and you watch Jokic and you know how great he makes the players around him play. So like Michael Porter Jr. becomes a very interesting player in that discussion. But for me, prospecting is really about buying the potential, the hype. It's about calling your shot. It's about... Uh, you know, having that glory play. And that's a lot of fun. It's especially in the basketball world, which is so player centric. It's really fun to do that versus sports betting. Like there is an element of gambling to this. Of course, there's an element of like, again, high risk, high reward. But because there's an obvious catalyst, it's fun. And you can theoretically guess when it's going to, when when things are going to change. Um, so with that being said, I want to get into the conversation of understanding risk because that's really what prospecting, if you're going to do it and you're going to do it well, you have to understand risk. Uh, and so for me, I break my risk profile down into a very specific way that I'd love to kind of go through with you um, because I, I think it's how I, I approach prospecting to keep myself from doing it safely. Um, so let's dive into a, a little bit of that risk conversation, most of it being injury, right? Like what... How do you think about risk for you? How do you balance your risk? And what are you, what are the, some of the things that you're thinking about when it comes to uh, managing your risk? I think, uh, oh, I, oh, I figured out what I wanted to say in the last part of it. Let me just close the loop. Remember how, how I lost my train of thought and you said the last thing was it was fun. So, okay, there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now in terms of risk, um, the biggest risk is injuries, as you said, and I can't live my life fearing injury <laughs> or, you know, fearing like, okay, is Mobamba or Trey Young or Zion, are they going to get injured? Uh, now, you know, if there's previous risk or sorry, if there's previous injury, I take that into account. <clears throat> you know, I think about Michael Porter Jr. I think about Zion. They've had uh, previous big injuries, so on and so forth. So that's at the top of the list, I would say. <clears throat> um related to that now is like COVID. And if somebody wants to party after the game, then they're exposing themselves more frequently. And if they're, or previously they didn't want to get the vaccine and I get, you know, that situation's changed now, then I'm kind of, I see that as an injury risk. When I mean injury, you're, you can't play because you have COVID or something like that, or um, you're not allowed into certain, you can't play in certain states because of uh, mandates. So I consider that also injury risk. Yep. Uh, and that's just current times. The second type of risk that I would say is opportunity. And I don't think Trey will not have the opportunity, right. but I think Mobamba could potentially not have the opportunity. And so that's, to me, that's why I put them into like separate tiers for prospecting. And, um, the last part, which is also equally unpredictable, is just a trade. Sometimes there's no trade rumors and the trade just happens and just that just like messes up the flow for somebody. Yeah. Um, if, even if they're the primary scorer, uh, that could really just mess up the flow for a, for somebody. Um, and that could really be a risk. 
Absolutely. Situation matters, right? Like opportunity situation, that stuff absolutely matters. Uh, for me, the way I think about the risk is very similarly to you. It's about things like opportunity, but you're right. Trey, who's going to have the ball in his hands all the time and the entire franchise is going to be built around Trey, holds an entirely different risk than a guy like Mobamba, who may not even see the court, right? So like there are entirely different risks. Now, the way I manage that risk and think about that risk is how much money are you putting into each of those plates? Obviously, you should theoretically put way more money into a Trey than a Mobamba. You should theoretically put way more money into a LeBron James than even a Trey Young, right? Like there are ways to manage that risk. And so let's get into how how I, I break down. This is something I do on my Instagram. So do follow us on Instagram because we talk about this stuff. And I, I'm going to post this on my Instagram so you will have access to it and you can kind of dive deeper into it. But the this is how I think about and manage my risk. And that way I am being as safe as I possibly can when it comes to investing in sports cards so that I have fun doing it, but I can do it safely. So the way I, I break down is out of my portfolio. And this is my basketball court card breakdown. I, and I do almost 99% of my stuff in basketball. I don't really do a lot of other sports, although I do like to flip in football, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so this is how I break it down. I have, and the way this works is the orange column is what it, what, what it is today versus a couple months ago. And I do this exercise for my own break, uh, my own portfolio every couple months or every month or so. Um, and so again, I'll post this on Instagram, but for me, I've got about 75, 74% of my money in the legends. Now I talk about uh, how I define legends and stars and prospects. My legends are hall of fame, retired guys and LeBron James in basketball. Like that's, that's who's in my legends category. And I'll talk about which players are in my legends category, who I'm actually buying and selling in that category. My stars are active players that do have MVPs or rings guys like Giannis uh, and uh, um, Steph. I, I put Kevin Durant. I put those guys in my stars category. And then my prospects, like we talked about in terms of tiers are active players that don't have MVPs or rings, right? This is the, the biggest part of this tier is Luca. Luca is the king of this tier. Um, but then it kind of goes down to the Trey Young, Zions, Jason Tatums of the world and kind of going down from there. Um, any thoughts on this like breakdown right here? I've got 74% in the legends category, 23% of my stars. And I only have right now 3% in my really high risk prospects, actually. So I've seen this breakdown in the past and I've seen how the uh, evolution of the bars uh, which were probably a little bit more evenly distributed, meaning like the bars were closer in height before, and how over time they've shifted taller to the legends and a lot shorter to the prospects. Absolutely, and I've done that. I've done that really, and it, and it does go in waves, right? So for me, this does go in. It, it changes over time, which is why I have the little the, the comparison bar because I do think that's the interesting part of it. Like there are certain times where I believe buying legs, like right now, the reason why it's so heavily weighted towards the legend is because I believe when the the when the the call it the pullback in February happened, it's like cool. That's an opportunity to go load up on the guys who probably will never be that cheap again. The Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James and Michael Jordans of the world. Like right now is the time to go get it because the next run up, those guys are gonna you're you're not gonna be able to get your hands on them. And the way theoretically I think that the sports card hobby should work is that the legends category of cards should increase slowly over time. And then you have to flip and try to take that high risk, high reward in order to profit. And then 
slowly put more money into the legends category. Right now, I feel like there's a disproportionate opportunity in the legends category. My LeBron James, and well, let's go into who's in that category. But the, the these guys that I'm buying right now, I think there's like a disproportionate opportunity in these guys right now. So over time, maybe it'll it'll shift back over to the right in the more stars and prospect. If maybe there's an opportunity I really believe in right now, this is who I'm buying in the legends category. Uh, and again, this is my blue chip stocks. These are the guys that I think that over time, like I don't have any trouble. I can sleep at night because 74% of my money is in guys that are retired and are already hall of famers, right? Like without doing anything, I think these are okay. Time out. What do you mean by disproportionate opportunity? Like, I think right now the idea is like right now, I think that, we should be buying more of these guys because I think in the pullback that happened in February, it gave us an opportunity to buy back into the Michael Jordan cards and the LeBron James card. And people kind of walked away a little bit and or got scared. And I think that gave us a really good opportunity to get into these guys. What will happen the next run up, which whenever that happens, I'm not going to try to time this market necessarily, but when the next increase in basketball cards comes, these guys are going to are going to get too expensive. They're they're already really really expensive. They're going to get way more expensive. They're going to they're going to have they're going to go up more than I think. Like I I'll say it this way. The reward of buying these guys right now is more than what I think in prospecting, which these are no risk. Like these guys are not risk. So from a risk reward standpoint, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity here. I think the risk is low and I think the reward is going to be very high over the next year as well. You know, um the way that you said this is, is, is telling. So the word that you used was when these go back up. And uh, listen, listening to people talk about uh, prospects, you know, other content creators, or even just chatting with people on Instagram, I hear a lot of ifs. So well, if he does well, or if they, if it goes up. And what, what you said here was when they go back up. So that was telling to me. The second thing that you said that was uh, eye-opening to me was that the amount or the value increase of a legend is more than uh, a prospect could be or potentially could be. So, um, you know, you might get some pushback in the comments, but I think I feel you that I mean, what we saw in February, it was like triple quadruple like kind of like within a week out of nowhere and you don't quite see that with prospecting i think we, you saw that a little bit at the beginning of the nba bubble but right. i don't i don't think that kind of really happens like that outside of the nba bubble you, you might get a run-up like a 50 percent run-up but not like two three four x in a short period of time like we saw in february so then um, I, I have a question for you. Will you go back uh, Go back to the previous one, please? Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, when, when I first got back in, I was heavily on the right. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the new stuff I was buying. Now, obviously, I had a bunch of stuff from 2003. So... My my at least my portfolio was all on the left. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but when you know, when I was when I was buying a bunch of stuff, I was buying a bunch of stuff on the right. Uh, when you first got back in, like, w was it similar for you too? Oh, it was similar. When I got back in, I was 
I was prospecting. Like I was buying Tatum and I was buying Trey Young and I was buying, I was flipping Donovan Mitchell. Like I was trying to flip, but like the mantra of the show is like, I was, I'm trying to flip to build a long-term collection. Now over 18 months, I've flipped enough where I'm like, all right, cool. Like I've made some profits. I've also lost on a lot of cards as well. I, I don't, I do not win on every card I buy. Uh, nobody does. Um, but I do, but now, now again, what I think was happening before February was that I think people were prospecting a little too much. Like, again, the amount increased for like the Zions and the Lucas, people were so reactive. Like Luca would go off and people would buy a ton of Luca stuff and Luca would go up into in a two week span. But that doesn't really make any sense. And I think that's what we'll, that's what people were saying at the time was like, it's too it, it's too risky. Like it shouldn't be going up like this. And it was like, the again, the percentage increase for prospects was really high at the time. And it was higher than it was for a lot of like the goats and stuff. Then what we saw happen was we saw that pullback um, after the bubble. And then we saw another increase from basically December to February, right? That was the massive increase in a lot of the goats. So a lot of the goats took off and that makes a ton of sense to me. And I think that's where I'm saying like, I don't think people are going to react the same way going forward. The sports card hobby is going to be different than it was a year ago. And what was happening a year ago was that, it was crazy that a guy like Michael Porter Jr. could go off and all of a sudden his cards were just increasing in value like nothing, right? And I think people are getting smart to it, uh, which is why I think right now what's happening is if you watch like the premier auction stuff, which look, none of us actually, and I'm going to take this screen off real quick because I like the conversation we're having. I'll go back to it. But if you're watching the really, really high end stuff right now, it's creating room because it's it's going up right now. Like the high end stuff, I know we talk about like the sports card, like the sports card uh, basketball right now is down, but the high end stuff is not down. The high end stuff is continuing to break records over and over and over again. And I know most of us who don't have the money to put fifty thousand dollars into a card or twenty five thousand dollars into a card or whatever are not paying attention to it. I urge everyone pay attention to what's happening on the top end, even if you're not playing in it, because you need to know what's happening here in order to continue to know where the room is in the middle for low, cheaper, lower-end stuff that you want to flip. But if there's no room here because the goats are still too cheap, well, that's that's what I'm saying. That's why I think right now the goats, I think, are cheap enough and they should theoretically continue to go up over time to create room in the middle. And that's when prospecting gets really fun is when there's room in the middle for it to go up and down and so it makes more sense. That's why I'm so heavily weighted to the legends. Currently. Currently, currently. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to it. Um, so that's that's the legends. Let's go to the stars real quick. Um, I've got most of my money right now. Uh, and this is a function of like, this is a percentage, right? So it's not necessarily that I bought a ton more Kawhi. I didn't buy any more Kawhi over this time period, but I bought other players and that obviously messes with my percentages here. Um, I sold some Steph uh, to buy my LeBron James auto, which is why my LeBron James category went from 25% to 35% because um, I brought that LeBron James auto. I also bought some Tim Duncan, my Jambalaya, my uh, Flair Showcase Legacy Collection. So my Tim Duncan went up. Um, and then that's what my – that these are the, the guys I'm, I'm investing in terms of stars. Anthony Davis, I Kevin Durant, Giannis. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Will you go left, please? So you're saying each uh, – all of the orange adds up to 100%. Yeah. So that means of the legends, just of the over legends. a third of the values. Car, is, it's not card numbers. It's card values. 
hard values. Okay. No, no, no. Car, the cost. This is on a cost basis. Yeah, yeah, cost. On, oh, the yeah. cost basis. Okay. So how much you got the cards for? Yeah. Uh, just over a third of all your legends is in a Le- LeBron James. I'm sorry. Over a third of the values is in LeBron James. And just uh, under a third of the uh, total values of the portfolio of legends is in Michael Jordan. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I'm reading this correctly. That's right. That's right. So 35% of the total, like, again, I've got 74% of my total money invested in basketball cards is in the total, is in the legends category. So again, it's the far majority of, of where my money is. And then of that category, 35% of it is LeBron James. Great. Clarification. Math clarification. Thanks. No, I appreciate that. That's that's a good clarification for anybody watching. So these are my stars. And then the the guys that I'm prospecting with right now are like are Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, John Morant, and Trey. And what you're gonna realize is I don't I don't buy anything less than these guys. Like I'm not I do in the other category, which is at 14%. So we'll talk about what that 14% is because I think I think when you start really going into lower tier cards, you can actually or lower tier players, you can buy better cards. And so we'll talk about what types of cards you're buying once you've decided what players that you're buying. But Vincent, let's let's talk about your portfolio. What players are you taught? What players are you targeting right now or investing in when it comes to prospecting? So, uh. I like the the young, bigger name guys, Trey, Zion, Ja, Luca. Uh, I decided against Tatum because, I don't know, uh, for some reason, the 2018 draft class felt like a good cutoff. And that mm. anyone uh, older, and I put older in quotes, older in terms of NBA experience, I felt that um people would be less excited because they were frankly older and experienced and you put jason tatum in that like for you jason 2018 is that cutoff for you so jason tatum uh spider mitchell they just missed the cut got it i want to dive into that a little bit because i think it's really interesting the 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 guys who are unproven but have a track record right the bradley beal the damian lillards how do you view those guys, because it's those are much harder to trade, right? Uh, the Kyrie Irvings, those guys. Like, how do you think about that tier versus the unproven players, but are much more hype, right? Like, that's potential and hype where pe- we kind of know what we're going to get out of Damian Lillard. Um, and so, how do you think about that? Because I, I definitely have a, an opinion on how those guys operate in my portfolio, but how, how do they operate in yours? So, um, I generally avoid them. Because of the lack of, frankly, hype. And it's they're now uh, a handful of years under the belt in the league. The league knows what they can do. And it's up to the franchise to add around them and and so on and so forth. So because of that, I feel like um, they do get a run-up every season. You know, if they have a nice stretch of 40 points a game, which... Dame Dalla and Bradley Beal, they've had for the past few years. Uh, however, that fizzles when they miss the playoffs. The same, see, here's the other thing. The exact same happens for someone like Zion who missed the playoffs. Uh, so the difference, obviously, is the age and time in the league. 
And there's a, there's a, there's a different type of excitement for a younger player. And sure, we're going to, it's going to be Dame time. You know, what, what time is it? It's Dame time and giving the ball in the fourth quarter with, when down by one. So that's very exciting. And that we can look forward to. However, if you're mid-career, is this kind of like, all right, you know, you're, you're, you're peaking right now and we kind of see the peak of your career. Whereas with Luca and Zion and Trey, even Tatum, it's like, oh, what, what could happen next for them? You know, well, how many rings could they possibly get? How many finals MVPs? How many league MVPs can they? So those types of questions aren't asked quite about Damian Lillard. Bradley Beal, even Kawhi Leonard. I mean, yeah. I guess he could be finals MVP, but, you know, this, this, the question of potential isn't there. And that's what draw, attracts me to uh, the younger prospects. It's it's a great point because I think what you're touching on is how these guys make tier jumps. So the way you can capitalize on flips is when a guy jumps a tier, right? And so when you're talking about a Damian Lillard, you're talking about a guy who – he can go off for 30 points a game for the entire season and be in that discussion of MVP and people don't, people expect it. There's no, there's, they just expect it out of him. So for Dame to really have a sustainable increase in value, it almost takes him to win a championship. And that's so difficult to do. Obviously only one team ever wins a championship versus if you've got a very, very young prospect that just needs to make a tear jump in terms of like not playing to playing, that happens like that's much easier right now the question then becomes like are people going to jump on it like how quickly do people jump on those things but like let's talk about dame i've got the card ladder uh pulled up and i think this is really fascinating when you talk about uh when you talk about damian lillard because every year when it comes to damian lillard and i want to zoom in here so we can look at this properly but every year because of Damian Lillard and what he does in the playoffs or what he does coming up to the playoffs, there's always that time of him going off. So this is a two-year chart that we're looking at right now. Um, and you can see this is in the bubble when he went off, right? When he, when the hype of them potentially beating the Lakers came in the first round and he goes off and you see this jump. I mean, Oh, this was, Oh, this was when, uh, this is the bubble when they got into the playoffs. So again, Damian Lillard for the eight games that you they played coming back from the bubble and they went off and Damian Lillard's carrying that team like like crazy. It went from $1,000 all the way to $3,000. Now I considered here, I consider Damian Lillard is one of those guys that I considered here. I didn't buy it here, uh, but he goes off. and But what ends up happening, exactly what you're talking about, is they fizzle. So they come back down because eventually – Dame doesn't have the team to get to the championship. And so they never get, they don't get there and it comes back down, but then inevitably because he goes off again, because he's Damian Lillard and he can do that. You see that go right back up to that 1725 number. Right. And now they've come back or down in the off season and it's created this floor, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, and you can pretty much bet that, you know, his PSA 10, which has a population of 951, uh, his 2012 prism, uh, which is not a high population for a, a, a stable flagship card of a player, uh, is $800 right now. And you can pretty much bet that when Damian Lillard, barring injury, goes off again, you're going you're, you're gonna to see that increase in price. So, But it's against where you want to play and, and, and how you want. But this is how I think about the Damian Lillards, even the Bradley Beals of the world, right? So Bradley Beals, 
2012 Prism is, let's talk about that real quick, because I think it's also pretty interesting. Bradley Beal's 2012 Prism, uh, which is now a, a population of 678 and goes for about 375 right now. And you can see his two-year chart, what it's done. It has the run-up uh, that they all did, and then it has a decrease when they got eliminated from the playoffs in the bubble. Then, again, this all happened when Wizards go off at the end of last year going into the playoffs, uh, and you see this massive increase in price. So always really interesting to go through these charts. And, again, Card Ladder, by the way, affiliate of the show, I'll take – that uh, this time sign up in the show notes. You can always get a, a subscription using the the link in the, the show notes, but I do love card ladder and looking at data like this is how me and you make our decisions. Right. So any thoughts you want to add to those guys and tier jumps and any of that stuff before, you we know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say something that's probably going to piss a lot of people off, you know, un until the young guys prove or until the young guys win, then they're projected to not win. For example, uh, I was projecting um, Giannis to be Charles Barkley or Karl Malone. Mm. But then he wins. So he made a tear jump. Yeah. With Luka Doncic, I'm projecting, I'm saying he's projecting to be Vince Carter. Luka's. Yeah. There's so much uh, hype for Vince that's Carter. Spicy, that's a spicy take. Yeah, I mean, but in Vince Carter had just as way. much hype. Vince Carter was supposed to be yeah. the next Jordan. And then you know, Vince Carter didn't win any rings. And so until Luca wins a ring, then he can't make that next tier jump. And that that's the point that I'm making. And uh, uh, I bet the comments are going to be lit because of that. But uh, so in, in that vein, do you think Luca is overvalued then? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Take, save your thoughts. We're going to do a segment at the end, overvalued, undervalued, and we're going to go through. So we're going to, Luca's on that list. So keep that thought because I think it's a really fascinating conversation. Um, let's talk about this. How do you decide, how do you mitigate your risk? And I guess what I'm talking about here is whole time. How do you think about when you're taking profits, that sort of thing, uh, when you're taking high risk decisions like a Mo Bamba or Trey Young or Zion or whatever? Those are all high risk guys who are unproven, how do you mitigate your risk when it comes to whole time and taking profits? So uh, uh, I see a, a buying window or an acquisition window, and I see a selling or a moving off of window. So uh, usually if I look at a card ladder chart and it's flat, for example, I mean, we just saw Damien Lillard and Bradley Beals, their current card ladder charts show flat to me that so that implies buying yeah or acquiring like you know if i'm at a card show someone has that i'm like okay you know i i, I do like damian lillard so that and they want to offer it to me in a trade that's kind of where i would move on acquiring or buying damian lillard and additionally uh i like getting cards in the off season and i like getting cards uh after people get eliminated either from the playoffs or playoff contention. Like, you know, Zion wasn't going to make the playoffs, but he wasn't officially eliminated until, I don't know, like 10 games before the end of, end of the season. So things like that, that's when I like to buy. I also like to buy uh, after an, uh, an injury. Mm, and so, yep. you know, I, I realize that's really risky, but if they're young, they're more likely to come back from the injury. So uh, in baseball, I, I recently bought some Ronald Acuna Jr. Nice. Um, 
so so that's kind of like the windows of time where I like to acquire. Let's now, look at Dak Prescott. That's a really good oh, yeah segue into a Dak Prescott conversation because uh, let me share my screen real quickly uh, because I think that that's a really good. There there are certain ways to buy, and after injury is 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 a great way to do that because you can see here when he had his MVP season before he broke his leg, which is a gruesome injury. He was trading at fourteen twenty five, and you could have picked it up at three twenty five. Just what is that? That's a three month window, three twenty five to seventeen twenty to twelve fifty. Okay, it's like a four hundred percent increase in price. Uh, and so, when we talk about mitigating risk, is take your profits. If you bought Dak here at three twenty five and you didn't sell at a thousand, that's on you. You got to set like for me, that's that's a take profits move because you never know when a guy's going to get hurt like that. You know what I'm saying? I'll give you an example. We're going to go into a little bit a little bit later of of something that's worked for me lately in football as well. But you saw Dak all plummet back down to 456. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he got injured, not even a month after it plummets down to 425. And two months later, you start seeing a rise. So if you bought right after his injury. In November of 2020, you could have picked up his 2016 uh, Prism Silver in a PSA 10 where there's a population of 1,000, uh, 1153, um, and you could have picked it up at 415, and again, you'd already be doubling your money before he even stepped back onto the field. That was wild because it went back up with him not even playing. Not even playing. <laughs> and that was in season as well, right? Uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was in season. It's just like, how is a guy doing so well being injured? I mean, he's on America's team. I guess that, 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 that's a big part of it. Um, and by the way, you know how you, you said 400% increase good math, by the way. So I just want to give you a shout out. (laughs) Okay. So, so to the second part of the question about like selling and, um, or and or getting out of a card i i see that if i don't you know it's not ever like fully prescriptive or it's not like a specific formula like oh once it's uh 50 up or once it's 100 percent. no i don't i don't quite have that i do go by feel yeah and um the things that i can consider when i'm feeling out when to sell or move out of a card is this kind of like okay how much is is there a lot of excitement for the player or for the sport right now is there uh uh is i guess hype building up um are people talking about it or, you know on instagram are people showing off a lot of that card or a lot of yeah. the player or the team similarly so that that's kind of when i uh like those are indicators that put me into feel about when I would like to either sell or move out of a card. And I, I hate to say that so generally, <laughs> but yeah, you're I right. Can't, yeah. I don't have a specific formula on it. So I, my, my, I don't have a specific formula either. It changes from player to player and it de- depends on the situation. However, if I've devo- doubled my money on a card, I'm like pretty okay moving on it, especially if it's a flip. Like if I determined that what before I bought it and so much of this is your buying strategy before you ever buy the card. So if you're buying a card to long-term hold it, long-term hold it, the dips in the middle, 
and the up and down the middle then doesn't matter and it should not matter to you as much. But determining your buying strategy before you ever buy a card is absolutely a paramount part of this process so that when it doubles in price or when it goes up in price, you're ready to move it. There's not a question, right? If it's a flipping car, like if it's a card I want to flip, if it doubles in price, I'm at least starting to think about it. And if it goes even more, I'm like really there. I'll give you an example of one and you can tell me if you think I sold too early or what you're thinking about it. Uh, I just bought three months ago. This is over, no, two months ago, 59 days ago, I bought this Kyler Murray 2019 select uh, tri-color prism feel level uh, out of 99 in a PSA 10. It's a pop 23 card. I bought it 29 days ago at 725. Uh, that's that's the actually the wrong purchase. I've actually bought and sold this card twice, by the way. So this is actually an older buy. I bought it. <laughs> I bought it. I bought it two months ago, uh, at around nine ninety. Okay. okay. I bought it for nine hundred dollars, and I just sold it for nineteen hundred dollars. After week one, he blows up. The hype gets there, and all of a sudden, you see here his card prices do this. So I I bought it for nine hundred and sold it for nineteen hundred after week one. Now Kyler Murray could be the MVP this year, and this could look like. It could go all the way to 3000 But for me, I'm okay taking my $900 to $1,000 profit 100% in 60 days and allow the next person to take that risk. Because now, when, when I think about selling a card, it's like, would I rebuy it at this price, right? But for me to buy this card at 1900 I need to expect it to go to 3000 for me to like really want to, to, to flip it again. But I'm not willing to play that game. I'm good at my $1,000 profit, and I'm, I'm willing to move. I think that's a great question to ask yourself is this, would I buy this card at this price? Yeah. You know, like not having the card at all and the, and answering that question helps you determine, should I sell it? That, 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 that type of question. Yeah. I would also like to echo how, what your thoughts are going into a card. So if you're going into, if you're buying Kyler Murray for long term, then, you know, it doesn't really matter. Right. If you're buying Kyler Murray to flip, then you've already considered A, the time frame, and B, kind of like what types of numerical values of profit you'd be happy with. Yeah. So I think those are the other two things that I didn't mention about what I consider when I would want to sell. <laughs> and one thing is so important here is whole time. Something we talk about a lot is profit and percentages of profit, right? I made hundred percent on that card. That's awesome. But one thing that we don't really talk about a lot is how long did it take you to get that, that profit? If you make, if you double your money, but it took you five years to double your money. Well, that's not, that's, that's not that great. That's a 20% return when you annualize it. But I, the reason I sold this card is because it happened so fast in 60 days. If I can double my money, I'm good. I'm good. Like that happens in such a short period of time that I'm willing to take that profit because the whole time was so short. So for me, it's like, if I could take that 1900 and do it again in some other way, cool. Like that's how you compound the the theoretical win here. Right. So then I take that 1900 and I put it into something else and, and, and try to do that again. Now I'm not, I'm not buying it. I bought this car thinking it was going to be a six month hold. So again, when you buy, it's not only what your potential exit prices but also what's your whole time because at some point if the play doesn't work you you might want to cut bait because the real discussion here becomes about opportunity costs and i want to transition the conversation we've we've been talking for some time and i want to let you go uh but i want to before we go i want to transition the conversation into what do you do when your play doesn't work and can you give me examples of times where it didn't work for you and what your decision tree was 
when it didn't work? Because obviously this is risky and sometimes your risks a lot of times don't work. So how do you how do you deal with that in your head? Woo! It's a tough pill to swallow. It is such a tough pill to swallow. And I remember even just chatting with you about it. I remember uh, when Sarfa sports cards were around and you would go on IG Live and I'm like asking you questions, and but I'm asking you questions in the DM. And I'm just like trying to negotiate with myself about mistakes. I put mistakes in quotes uh, and also losses if I'm down on a card. And to me, I'm a winner. Like that's that's what I'm telling myself. I'm a winner. I don't lose on cards. Hell no, <laughs> I will not lose on a card. So you know that's kind of like in my head. And so when that actually happens, and I'll just tell you what it it, it happened earlier this year. Uh, I bought a bunch of modern basketball in February. I bought yeah. Uh, I bought Anthony Davis. I bought Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. I bought Devin Booker, and they were all. Whether they were up or not, I thought that they were going to go up from there. And they all went down. So I moped. <laughs> I, I'll just be honest with you. I sat and I moped. And uh, I was sad that I had lost a lot of value in this. And so what I did was I recalibrated. I reset. I re-envisioned what the hell I was doing, losing a lot of value here. And um, what I did was I engaged a lot of people and I talked to a lot of people and I spent a lot of time reflecting. Um, I would think I would sit and stare at the card and get mad, not at myself, but I would just get mad that, man, this sucks. So me getting mad would motivate me to find a solution so that's why i would sit and stare at a card and get mad because mm -hmm. it would motivate <laughs> me to find a solution yeah, so yeah, yeah. the solution uh sorry the solution was that i want i just wanted to get out of that strategy altogether yeah and that the loss that i took was hobby tuition i was paying tuition oh i love that hobby and i mean i'm an educator teach at college students have to pay tuition so that's kind of how i see it in that um but also like what i learned i have a responsibility to share this so that others can learn from it as well so you know sitting on cards that you're taking losses on is it's such an important conversation to have because the real conversation again is opportunity cost when you have a card that you bought and you were Pay, you 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 made the play for a specific time period, but it didn't quite work out. If you continue to hold the card, even though you don't believe in the play anymore, not only are you, you you're going to take a loss on the actual value of the card, but you you have your money tied up in something that you could be putting in something else. And we don't have a discussion enough in this hobby about opportunity cost, and it is real. So I'll give you an example of something I did that I I took. It was no pleasure in doing this, but it was absolutely necessary, and I'm so glad I did it. Before the bubble, I bought Joel Embiid. I made a playoff play. And most of my mistakes actually uh, in the in the hobby have been trying to make playoff plays. I'm going to stop. But both my Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid plays have been the idea that I'm going to try to flip it because I think they're going to do well in the playoffs. And both Anthony Davis got injured. 
this year and Joel Embiid going into the bubble, this is what happened. I bought them at right here at the like $300 mark. And I thought they were going to have a really great run in the playoff in the bubble. This was, I guess, two playoffs ago. And sure enough, they sucked. I mean, they came out and it was the worst possible outcome. They were so, so bad. And now looking back on it, uh, the Sixers are a mess and, and the whole Ben Simmons thing is a whole thing. Uh, but really what ended up happening is that they went back down to 200, 221. Now, I didn't take a huge loss. I bought them at 300. They It didn't quite happen. I, they didn't go up the way they did, and they're at 200. Now, it, what I did is I basically moved off all my Joel Embiid. I made a specific decision where if this play was not going to work in the playoffs, if they were not going to come out and dominate in the playoffs the way I thought they were, I'm going to move. I got to move it because I want to do something else with the money. Now, you could say, Amil, you should have held because right after that, Joel Embiid has an MVP level season, and they get all the way up to 951. That could have. I could have held. I, I I shouldn't have maybe sold here. But that's okay. I didn't believe in the play. I saw what the Sixers did. I no longer believed in Joel Embiid. I moved my money, and I, I think I made more money elsewhere than buying more than, than, than doubling down on my Joel Embiid. And if you don't sell at 221, it's basically rebuying it at 221. Again, that goes back to our discussion. Now, in hindsight, I would have made money if I held. I would have. I, I would have bought him at 300, and I would have uh, sold here. But with his injury risk and not knowing how they were going to come out and not knowing what uh, was going to happen that year, I decided to move it. But that's what I did. I took losses on all my Joel Embiid prisms. This is the 2014 Panini prism uh, in a PSA 10 where Joel Embiid has uh, 12, uh, 1,200 or 1,220 in population uh, uh, for anybody listening on the podcast. But if you are listening on podcasts, come listen to the, come watch the YouTube because you get charts and stuff on the YouTube. But uh, absolutely, this is one of my plays um, that didn't work. But anyway, it's, it, yeah. it's uh... Oh, it's a tough pill to swallow. I, I I will say my moping was healthy, and my sadness was healthy. In that, you know, I'm gonna learn from it. It, it motivated me to uh, figure something else out. And um, it's important to acknowledge uh, the darker side of the hobby, and not just be like, oh, it's all. It's all uphill charts. Like, no, it's not all uphill charts. So to acknowledge and even sit within it, you know, that, that, that part of the hobby is a healthy thing. Just, you know, not sit there too long. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's about making decisions and moving forward. I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to keep making decisions and moving forward. And if you're prospecting, it's okay. People take losses on prospecting. That's what, that's the fun of it. Like there is, there's an element of this, that the decision to sell even at a loss and put it into something else. I cannot tell you how much I have I've benefited from that mindset to not sit on cards and to constantly move. I mean, we've only been doing this for 18 months. Everyone who got in the last two years made a ton of mistakes. Everyone, everyone. I don't know anybody who made who didn't make mistakes doing it. But if you were someone who dwelled on your mistakes and didn't just take the loss and move it into something you believe in, like in this current down period, so many people, I myself, bought cards in February of 2020. We're super down. 100% down in some cases, right? Like really, like real bad losses. But but if you identified good buying opportunities and you didn't sell and you didn't take in advantage of the buying opportunity that currently exists right now, then you're doubling down on your mistake. And one thing I want to leave the show with here is don't double down on the mistake. Like once you make it, that's okay. Move forward. Continue to, to, to move forward. And, and if you believe in a play more than the, where your money's tied up, 
then that's okay. And this is a conversation about keeping liquid, like not being card rich and cash poor. Ideally, you're not card rich and cash poor. Ideally, you are liquid so that you don't have to sell at a loss and that you have cash to go in when you do believe there's a good buying opportunity and you give yourself time to hold when your plays don't play. But assuming that you have a limited amount of funds and you have a bucket you're playing with, you got to make hard decisions. Just is what it is. I'd like to tie what you said, especially with the Kyler Murray, back to the very beginning. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, a card goes up uh, and you're like, oh, okay, I want to sell it. And, or if you have a card that goes down, your money's kind of tied in it and you want to make a decision on it. So if you're in a, a goat and the thing about it is your money's tied into it until they go up again. And that's what makes it less fun in that sense. Yep. And that's what makes it less risky in right. the same sense. So I just want, I, you said that and I just had to like put that out there. Yes, for sure. Um, well, great. I, I think we've got so many other topics that I, I could, I could talk for, with you for another hour. Uh, and that's what hours. hours, right? So <laughs> I want to tell the audience, hopefully, you know, Vanson, I hope we're hoping that this is a recurring segment that Vanson and I do. I like talking to you, Vanson. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me here today and having the conversation. This is a tough conversation. It's a fun conversation. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate your time, man. All right. Awesome. Guys, give Vanson a follow on Instagram at the underscore underscore card professor. Give me a follow on slap at, at the slap talk on Instagram. Hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, that bell icon to be notified for future episodes. And if you are listening on podcast, please leave a rating and a review. Vanson, thank you so much again for joining. Stay on the, stay on the screen. I'm gonna do a little outro video. All right.